0: You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. For this morning, uh, what I want to do is uh, I want to take a look at Luke 15. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Luke 15. Luke 15 there's one main idea in that chapter. It's lost people. That's the theme of Luke 15. It's lost people. And here's my burden. I want to try to show some of you, perhaps for the first time, to remind others of you again, because um, maybe it's just an idea that you need to keep in front of you, and to challenge all of you to have a burden for the lost. We planted King's Cross Church to reach lost people. We have spent uh, an, in, a lot of money and incurred even more debt to establish a permanent home on the Canehoy Peninsula so that we can reach lost people. When we plan our services and our sermons and our Sunday programming and the way that we're pushing out social media, we are doing that with lost people in mind. Our website that we just redid, when I was talking to the guy who redid the website in January, I said, I want everything to communicate to outsiders first. We're we're trying to reach lost people. Our vision statement that's on the wall when you walk out the doors says we want to be a gospel community on mission for Charleston and the world. On mission to do what? To reach lost people. And so if King's Cross Church is your home, whether you have become a covenant member yet or not, if this is, when you think of where's my church, if you think of King's Cross, then part of my burden for you as your pastor is that you would have a burden for the lost people who are around you. You with me? That's my burden this morning. It's the burden central truth of these three parables that Jesus tells in Luke 15. It's an idea in that part of Luke that actually reaches its crescendo a little bit later in Luke 19.10 when Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He's telling people, this is why I'm here. Because I have a burden for lost people. I came to seek them out and to make a way that they might be saved. And here's my fear. I think if we are not careful, it becomes very easy to think that faith is personal and private. And our lives are very busy and very hectic. And so if we're not careful, what can happen is our relationships get compartmentalized. And so uh, we start to treat our social circles like, um, you, you know, all of you have somebody in their family who at Thanksgiving doesn't like their food to touch. You know, and the rest of us are like, no, man, let the gravy run over into the, that's super, and people freak out, you know, like if you're not careful, your relationships can become like that. And so, you, you know, it's like your, your work friends are over here and, and, the, and the friends in your classroom are like over here. And then you got this circle of friends, they're like your kids' parents and, and you kind of interact with them this way. And then like somewhere way over there is like your church friends and never should these different circles interact with each other and the danger in that can be that the way that we start to view the people in our lives around us is that like when we're over here with the church folks when we're over here these are the people in our community group these are the people that are in our student ministry these people are spiritual but like those people aren't And so what can happen if we're not careful is we stop seeing people in these various spheres of influence we have with spiritual eyes. We stop seeing them the way Jesus sees them. And that's the problem that Jesus encounters in Luke 15. Look at verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, if you don't know the New Testament um, very well yet, Pharisees and scribes, those are like normal kind of blue-collar religious folks. They were like people like me. They were kind of like professionally, vocationally um, religious. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So, verse 3 says, he told them this parable. And actually, we're going to read through it. It's three parables, back to back to back. Verses 4 through 7 contain the parable of the lost sheep. Verses 8 through 10 contain the parable of the lost coin. And verses 11 through 32 contain the parable of the lost son. Now, our English Bibles do us a little bit of a disservice here because if you are looking in your Bible, there'll be a header above verse 11, and it's going to say the parable of the prodigal son. It's one of the most well known parables in the scripture. But the theme of the chapter is not prodigalness, it's lostness. A much better header, like that's not part of the original inspired text. We added that to make it easier. And it just would have been better if whoever was the first person to do that had just put the parable of the lost son, because that's what it is. It's lostness is the theme. But Jesus' audience, when he's telling these parables, is not lost people. It's religious people. Again, verse 3. So he told them this parable. Them who? Them, the Pharisees and scribes who were grumbling because Jesus is talking with lost people. And so he's telling the religious people the parables. He's not trying to get a unreligious or ah religious people to recognize that they're lost. He's trying to get religious people to have a burden for the lost. You see, this is what he's after. Look at verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And again in verse 8, the parable of the lost coin, or... And then he gets to verse 11, the parable of the lost son. I won't read all of it. A lot of you know the story, but here's the the crux of it. There's a man, he has two sons. The younger son demands his inheritance. He doesn't want to wait till the dad dies. He wants to get it now. And so the dad gives it to him. He goes off to a far country. And he indulges in all kinds of hedonistic, kind of self-destructive behavior. He finally comes to the end of his resources and to the end of himself. He finds himself literally jealous of pigs because they, are, they have slop to eat. And he is hungry. He repents to both his heavenly father and his earthly father humbles himself and goes back home 15:20 Luke 15:20 it says this he arose and he came to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. But not the older brother. The older brother protests because he's been there the whole time. He's been taking care of the family business. He's been doing the right things. And now his younger brother is going to get a banquet and he's not having it. Verse 29, but he, this is the older brother, answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, but you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. Three parables told to people Who already identified themselves as followers of God. All told to try to show these good, moral, religious, well intended people that they were missing something that was near and dear to the heart of Jesus a burden for the lost. In fact, the punchline at the end of the parable of the lost son is that the older brother is still lost. He just didn't realize it. And the Pharisees and scribes recognized that. Like the reason that the Holy Spirit saw fit to have Luke include these three parables because he knows that unless we are intentional Unless you and I are regularly reminded about this, we will lose our burden for lost people too. And we'll begin to grumble about sinners like the Pharisees and the scribes did. We have to tend this in our hearts. We have to cultivate it in our hearts. And so I want to give you three principles that are designed to help you do just that, to cultivate a burden for the lost the way that Jesus had and the way that the Pharisees had forgotten or had lost somewhere along the way. Three principles. First one, recognize the reality. Recognize the reality. The Pharisees and the scribes looked at tax collectors and sinners and the primary Reality that they saw in verse 1 was their sin. Jesus looked at them and recognized the reality of their spiritual lostness. Of course they were sinners. They were lost. Of course they didn't live according to God's commands. They didn't know Him. Never ceases to amaze me when Christians get angry at non-Christians for acting like non-Christians. I don't understand Christians who rant and rave and post online and demand all types of policies and laws and controls on the behavior of people who are far from God, but never stop to recognize the reality of their spiritual state. What they're concerned with is their behavior, not their soul. They don't have a burden For lost people, the Pharisees and the scribes, should have rejoiced and thanked God that the tax collectors and sinners were talking to Jesus because he's who they needed. And instead they grumbled because of the way that they lived. They didn't recognize the reality of the spiritual lostness that was around them. Did you catch in verse 32 the two words Jesus used in this parable to describe the younger son? He said he was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he was found. To be lost is to be dead. Spiritually dead. John 3.3 Jesus says to be saved you must be born again. You have to stop being a dead person and start being a live person. In Ephesians 2.5, Paul says, When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You need to recognize the reality that the people who are far from God are not bad people who need to become good people. They're dead people who need to become alive people. They're lost people who need to become found people through the power and the work of the Spirit of God. And if you are not a Christian yet, can I just be very, very clear with you? Jesus did not die so that you could be a better person. There's lots of ways that you can be a better person. Jesus died so that you could live. He became sin so that you could be saved from the eternal consequences of your sin that has separated you from God. And do not hear in me anything trying to shame you or guilt you about that at all. But your faith journey cannot begin until you recognize the reality that your sin has separated you from God and you are in need of a Savior. You cannot do anything to save Yourself, dead people don't make themselves alive. No one dead in the back of an ambulance is giving themselves CPR. This is why it is such an effective analogy that Jesus uses, dead. What you need is not to be better, you need to be saved. You need a savior that is the reality. Another analogy that's used all over the New Testament that teaches this same principle is blindness. In John 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind, and towards the end of the chapter, the man comes back to him, and, and he begins asking spiritual questions, and he professes his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus says this in John nine thirty nine: For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see, may see in 2 Corinthians 4:4 4, 4, Paul says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ it's all the same concept lost dead blind this is the reality amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost And now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Christian brothers and sisters, can I implore you to recognize the reality of the people around you. They are spiritual beings made in the image of God and destined to spend eternity either basking in his glory or under his active wrath. They are people for whom Christ died. You say, well, she gets on my nerves. Okay. You get on somebody's nerves too. Do you see her as someone made in the image of God for whom Christ died? Well, you don't know the way that he acts. Well, no kidding. He's a sinner far from God. But he's close to you. you got to recognize this reality. You see him as an image bearer of God. Precious. For whom Christ died. If you're on a road trip with a friend of yours who's visually impaired, you wouldn't get angry at your friend, right? If if you're driving down, you say, "Hey, would you keep an eye out for a place for us to eat?" And your friend says, "Well, I would, except I'm blind." You say, "Well, you're no help at all." Well, no, they're blind. What do you expect? My dad passed away this past December. Do you know that on my birthday this year, I won't get mad at him for not calling me? He's dead. Well, like, you have to recognize the reality. Of people spiritually. Jesus was not angry at lost people for acting lost. He's frustrated with people who think of themselves as being religious. But who fail to recognize the reality or to have a burden for the lostness of the people around them. So before you get angry with lost people, with people who are spiritually dead and spiritually blind, before you get mad at them for acting like lost people, can you slow down and check your heart and recognize the reality of their spiritual standing before God? You got to see them. The Pharisees and scribes didn't see the tax collectors and the sinners. All they saw was their sin Got to recognize their reality. Second principle, know the need. Once you recognize the reality of somebody's situation, you have to know what they need. Drowning people do not need a drink of water. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you do not need the name of a good wealth management firm. Right? Like. You can recognize someone's reality, but you also have to pair that with understanding what is it that they need. Spiritually dead people who are far from God do not need behavior modification. They need to be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Spiritually blind people do not need to be shown some kind of like eschatological timeline chart that matches up John's vision and revelation with American political situations. That's not what they need. They need to have their eyes open to the beauty of the gospel and the glory of Christ. That's what they need. Worry about the other things. We'll talk about obedience. That comes, yes. But that's not the first thing that people need. Christian brothers and sisters, can I just I'm pleading with you this morning to know the greatest need that people who are far from God have is the gospel. That's what they need. Where we, where we began, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What does that process look like? What, what is it? <laughs> what is someone being sought and saved? Look like. Biblically, process looks like the Spirit of God opening the eyes of non-believers so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Acts 26. The Spirit then convicts them concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, John 16. He causes them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 2. He places within them a new heart and a new spirit, Jeremiah 36. He gives them the gift of faith, Ephesians 2, so that they might believe and be born again, John 3. That is what they need. Can I, I just want to read Ephesians 2, 1 to 9 to you. Just listen to it. Listen to what it is that lost people need. And if you're not a Christian yet, we're so glad you're here. Can I tell you that you're here because someone loves you enough to invite you here because they want what I'm about to read to happen to you? Our prayer is that people who are close to us but far from God might experience the reality of Ephesians 2, 1-9. Here's what it says. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And just to be sure that this is not an us and them thing, Paul says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you're not a Christian yet, understand we don't think we're better than you. Your sin doesn't shock us. That's the way we used to live too. And by God's grace. Things have changed. Verse four, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not the result. Of works, lest anyone should boast. If you are a Christian, you see the people around you with spiritual eyes. They are either living in the reality of Ephesians 2 1 through 3, or in the reality of Ephesians 2 4 through 9. Do you know the need they have for God? Or are you so concerned with their offensive speech or how they behave at the pool on weekends or why their political views might be different than yours that in your heart, as far as you're concerned, they can go to hell, literally? Let them go, not my problem. Do you recognize the reality of their spiritual trajectory? Do you know the need they have to be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus? And lastly, do you own the opportunity that God has given you to be a part of their journey to faith? Do you own the opportunity that God has given you to be a part of their journey towards faith? Here's what I mean by that. The means by which God has sovereignly chosen to get the gospel to people so that they might be saved is you and me. That's his plan. There's not a backup plan. Do you own that opportunity? My absolute favorite passage on this is Romans 10, 13 to 17. Some of you know it well. You probably have it memorized. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Non-Christians in the room, you do not go away and get your life cleaned up and then come back and find yourself acceptable to God. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you went back and you studied the Greek, the Greek that is translated there, all means all. I went to seminary for that. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not all but you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, which means sharing, not what I'm doing right now? And how are they to preach unless they're sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. If you are a Christian, I'm pleading with you to own your opportunity that God has given you. If you are already someone who by God's grace has been saved through faith, then Great Commission... Commission passages like Matthew 28 18 to 20, Mark 16 15, Luke 10 2, Luke 24 47, John 20 21, Acts 1 8, and on. They apply to you. They apply to you. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And how are they to hear unless someone tells them? I promise you this, if you invite people who are close to you but far from God to King's Cross, they will hear the gospel. But I'd rather them hear it from you first. I'd rather the conversation be, can I share something with you that's happened to me? If you'd like to hear more, why don't you join me at church? But if the only thing you can do is say, why don't you join me to church? Awesome, let's start there. Faith comes through hearing hearing the word of Christ. Every single person in this room knows someone who is close to you but far from God. If you recognize the reality of their spiritual state, if you know the need they have for a Savior, all you have to do is own the opportunity that God has given you. You have to love them enough to share the gospel with them. Somebody loved you enough to share it with you. Do you own the opportunities that God has given you in your spheres of influence? Can I tell you that I own the opportunity we have on the Cain Peninsula? And I know, I know, I, I'm, I'm not saying that arrogantly. At all. I know we're not the only church that preaches the gospel in this geography. But can I tell you that from the Wando River to the Cooper River, I own it. I feel like the responsibility for the souls of the people on this peninsula is mine. It's ours. Because God put us here. He didn't put us in West Ashley. He didn't put us in North Mount Pleasant. He put us on the Canehoy Peninsula and we gotta own it. Josh talked about those schools. We're not territorial about the schools. We invite pastors and student pastors from other churches to come and speak at FCA all the time. Like, we're not, you know, it's not a territorial thing for us, but we own those schools. I feel like those are ours. Because who's going to do it if we don't do it? How many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids? We've done surveys at the schools. I'm telling you, a percentage of students that you would weep if you knew it don't are not regularly connected in a church of any kind. Who's gonna own reaching the next generation if it's not us? Who's gonna tell your family if it's not you? Like, who's going to tell the people that you work with if it's not you? On the board that you serve on, at the swimming pool in your neighborhood, in the classroom where your friends are around you. You have to own the opportunity that God has given you. When I see new neighborhoods popping up on Clements Ferry, I just think that's ours. And again, not not, praise God if people in those neighborhoods attend other gospel preaching churches. That's not the point. But I think, look, our opportunity is getting bigger. There's more people. Our opportunity is growing. And I ask God to give us influence in those places so that more and more and more people might join us here in singing praises to the risen King. Do you own the opportunities that you have? God has put you in those places at this time. If you don't own the opportunity, who will? Romans 9, 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul makes what I think may be the single greatest statement about having a burden for lost people in the whole Bible. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul says, if it means that I have to spend eternity in hell for the Jews to be saved, let it be. That is a burden for lost people. Paul Like his people were lost. And he took it personally. And he owned the opportunity to get the gospel to them no matter what the cost was. And brothers and sisters, if you know Paul's story, there was such a cost to him. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 11, five times. This is Paul. This is what Paul was willing to endure to own the opportunity he had to reach lost people with the gospel. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure and apart from the other things there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches that's a man who owned the opportunity that God had given him, do you? do you have a burden in your heart to see the people that you love the people that you work with, the people that you know, the people in your neighborhood come to a place of saving faith in Christ. And My burden for us King's Cross is we are about to turn the corner into the fall. Vacations are winding down. School's about to kick up. Football season's about to start. Families all over the city, whether you have children in school or not, everybody's rhythm is about to change The days are going to get shorter. The holidays are going to be on us before we know it. My burden for us, Kings Cross, is that as that season of life kicks back in, that we still have a burden for lost people. You want an easy next step? Just invite someone. Just invite them. Got a new sermon series starting next week. It's super practical. Just say, hey, I I think you'd really enjoy it. Why don't you come with me once? We'll go out to lunch afterwards. I don't want you to invite them for me. I don't even want you to invite them for us. I want you to invite people because you see them. Because you see them the way Jesus sees them. Because you recognize the reality of where they are. And you know the need that they have. And even if it's not real pretty and even if it has a cost to it, you own the opportunity to make sure that they have heard the gospel and have an opportunity to respond. Let's pray. Father, I believe you have sent us here in this time, in this place that we might reach lost people. And we know that that when we scatter from here on Sunday morning, our ministry only multiplies. We reach so many more people during the week as we scatter from this address than we ever will reach gathered at this address. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us hearts that love? Mouths that speak? Would you give us a boldness to invite people into this place that has been so encouraging and so developmental for so many of us. We ask boldly for more influence in this geography. We want more people coming and hearing the gospel, more people singing the praises of Christ our King. We want greater influence, not for our sake, Father, but for yours, because you are worthy of that, because Christ is worthy of that. Would you help us in these things individually and as a church in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the word of God today take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.